anybody else out there? Oh, good morning. Um, you can see what our topic is for today, family worship. Um, let, let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the Lord's Day uh, that we can enjoy rest in you, we can worship you, we can hear from your word and fellowship with your people. Um, as we uh, think about how to put our faith into action, we pray that you would help us um, think biblically, um, help us to be faithful to your word, um, and we pray that you would edify and encourage us um, through our study this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, this is, a, uh, this is the final um, topic in our theme of um, practical Christianity that we've been going through um, for the past few months, I guess, uh, in, in Sunday school. And um, this is going to be a two-parter, and it was originally supposed to be back-to-back two-parters, but COVID threw us a curveball, and um, so this is the last Sunday school, I think, before the two-week break for um, uh, Christmas and New Year's, I guess. So um, the second installment of this will be the first one in January when we get meet, come back again for Sunday school. Um, <clears throat> so just to set the stage there. Um, I wanted to start with this quote from James Alexander, um, which seems like it's um, particularly relevant to our day and age. Um, in a period when the world is every day making new inroads into the church, it has especially invaded the household. Along with Sabbath observance and the catechizing of children, family worship has lost ground. Um, I think we can probably all agree and relate to that. And um, I want to let you know that this quote was not made in the last decade. So I'm wondering, based on your experience in our culture, what decade do you think this quote might have come from? All right, we've got a wise guy back here. <laughs> Colonial New England. Um, yeah, you're on, you're on to me already, Rob. So um, even though this quote is particularly relevant in our day, um, 1847, so um, if we think that uh, it's maybe difficult to practice family worship in our day, um, apparently it's been difficult for centuries um, here, at least in the United States. Um, so I wanted to talk about, um, <clears throat> well, I guess, first of all, I'd like to, to ask you guys um, just to kind of sample, I, I know most of you pretty well, but... Um, how many of you have, like really know what family worship is? Just kind of put your hand like this. Most people do. Okay, good. How many of you practice family worship in your home? You, you guys don't count. All right, they're getting fewer fewer hands. Okay. Um, I, I won't embarrass you and ask you, like, well, how many of you have tried family worship and failed at it? <laughs> That's a common. <laughs> yeah, more there. Um, another question might be, how many of you have started it with good intentions but petered out after some period of time? That was my uh, experience growing up. Um, so likely um, in, any, in any group, any church group, there's probably different categories of people with respect to family worship. Um, there are those who practice it, um, or at least try to practice it. Apparently, only you. <laughs> um, uh, there are those who want to practice it, but have failed, you know, for various reasons. Um, uh, maybe just gotten worn down by the grind. Um, there's others who, have, who know what it is and have not really seen it as necessary. Um, or made it a priority in their homes. Um, <clears throat> and then maybe there's some, probably less so in our circles, but in you know people who might be new to the faith or new to our church who um, really don't haven't heard of it. It might be a new concept to some people. Um, so I wanted to talk about um, some of the common challenges that we face. Um, <clears throat> I've, I've listed five here. You might 
list more, um, but um, one of the common challenges that we face is the lack of time. Um, we're very busy people. Um, we, we say, well, I, there's no way I have time to, to do family worship. Um, that's a very common challenge we might face. The second one is closely related to that. Because of our busyness and our scatteredness, um, maybe we say our family's never together at the same time. How in the world can we have family worship? Um, it's hard enough to get people together for a meal or something, let alone getting people together for family worship. Um, <clears throat> there's uh, another challenge might be that not everybody is on board with it in your household. There, there might be resistance by some within the household. Um, different reason, there's different reasons for that, of course. Some, sometimes it could be time related. I don't have time to, to do that. Um, or it could be an attitude. Um, so that's another, some, something that might be a hindrance to ha practicing family worship. Another one for the leader, the person who has to lead family worship, I don't feel qualified. Um, you know, I have to um, teach the Bible to my family. You know, there's a lot of hard things in the, in the Bible. I don't, I'm not sure that I'm qualified to be able to do that. And then for the, maybe the newer person, I don't know what to do. <laughs> how do I get started with family worship? I don't have any idea how to do that. Um, so, and you might add your own, um, challenges to this list. Um, this, it's not an exhaustive list, of course, but um, you'll notice that I call these challenges and not excuses um, because they are all legitimate challenges to us in practicing family worship. Um, a challenge is something that we can rise to and overcome. Um, if we don't rise to the challenge, then it can become an excuse. Um, so, um, I think that these are legitimate challenges that we need to address, um, and we don't want them to become just excuses for not um, doing family worship. Um, so, in line with our, our topic of practical Christianity, this is the final topic in that series, and I wanted to submit to you that I think family worship is an excellent way um, to practice practical Christianity in our homes. Um, <clears throat> so I have uh, three goals here for this study. Um, one of them is to encourage you to be able to practice family worship consistently. And the consistently part of that is a key word that will be um, a theme here um, today. Um, also to encourage you to, to show that everyone can do it. Um, it doesn't really matter what your situation is. Um, uh, everyone is able to practice family worship. And then finally, to, to help to make it a joy, to do, to do it with a positive spirit, to make family worship a joy rather than a burden um, and a blessing, um, and also to avoid heaping unnecessary guilt on us um, and um, feeling guilty about past failures um, or whatever. Um, that's not the intent of it at all. Um, <clears throat> and um, I guess to, one of my goals would be to um, address some of these challenges, um, but balancing the challenges with a recognition of the benefits and the value of doing family worship. So. That's kind of um, the goal of the study. And then um, <clears throat> by, a, by way of approach, um, there's a lot of different situations. We have a lot of different family situations represented here in the room. Um, and so most books on family worship are gonna be geared towards families with children, um, usually young children. Um, I think every book I've picked up on family worship has that kind of a focus. Um, so a lot of the things that I'm going to say kind of have that as the baseline group to address. Um, but we also want to recognize that, you know, even here, here in this room, that's probably the minority of the, of the people that are here. 
So um, we want to make adjustments for other situations. There might be single parents um, raising children. Um, you can, we have single people um, either, you know, and if we, we can divide the single people into younger single people and older single people. Um, we might have um, couples. We might have a young couple who doesn't have children. We might have an older couple. Um, so there's a lot of different family situations. And even though I'm going to be using the family with kids kind of as the example, um, I'm hoping that um, you will be able to make adjustments for your situation. I think the principles apply to everyone. Um, and I'll try to point some of those out along the way. But, um, and then in terms of the approach of the study, um, and I've talked to Pastor about this a long time ago, I, I want to really relying on our personal experience in our family. Um, so it's not going to be so theoretical and everything. There's going to be a lot of like what we've done. And um, so I'm going to be so, sort of presenting an idealized version of family worship, what family worship ought to look like or what it should look like. Um, kind of just to hold that up to us as, a, as something, a goal to shoot for. Um, but the fact that I'm going to be talking a lot about um, our experience, um, it's really just to share our successes and failures, and I'm not holding our family up as, a, as some standard, certainly not. As a matter of fact, it might be a better counterexample to all the things not to do in family worship. But um, that's kind of the, it's going to be more um, conversational and um, talking about things um, the way that we've experienced things, and you guys can fill in your own experience as well and um, um, contribute to that. Um, you can tell by the fact that I'm up here teaching a class on family worship that I'm pretty passionate about family worship. It's something that I strongly believe in, um, but it might be surprising for you to know that somebody that's passionate and really into family worship, it, I also think flexibility and adaptability to circumstances is very important in achieving long-term sustainability for family worship. So um, those two things might not seem to go together, but I really am going to advocate um, for being adaptable to circumstances, which means some days you just might not have family worship, for instance. Um, so I'm going to uh, talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. So um, in terms of the class outline, it's pretty simple. Today, we're mainly going over family worship. What, it is, what is it? Why should we do family worship? And then the second one, which will now occur in sometime in January, <laughs> will be putting it into practice, and then that, that one will get into more of like, how do you do family worship? What are the logistics? What materials might be available to help you um, do family worship in your home? Um, so if you're the kind of person who wants the practical, like right now, you're going to be disappointed today. <laughs> We're not going to get to that until the next class. Um, but this is the outline. Um, and my driving conviction here, you've already heard it, heard me say it, is long-term consistency. Um, it's my belief that most failures in family worship are due to an inability to keep it going. And that was my experience growing up. My dad tried many times to do family devotions and family worship, and we never could sustain it for whatever reason. Um, and as a result of hearing about family worship or reading a book about it, you might be really energized to say, yeah, I'm going to do this in my house. But then over a few months, mm, peter out. Um, I think that's probably a pretty normal experience. Um, so w when I'm talking about family worship, um, I'm talking about trying to be in it for the long haul, which means you sometimes have to make compromises and um, be flexible again to be able to keep that long-term goal in mind. I want to sustain this throughout my lifetime, really, is what our goal should be. Um, so I think that that, that long-term consistency is sort of a critical consideration um, to keep in mind as we talk about um, family worship. And I'll 
I'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. So we're gonna go now to what is family worship? Any questions or comments before I move into the next section? Is everybody awake out there? <laughs> Teresa. Well, we're going to get to that. You have to be here next time to get the answer to that. Did I see it? Dave. Yep, that's coming up. And we will get to that today, Dave, I promise. <laughs> okay, um, so what is family worship? Uh, well, um, it's really just a, a time of gathering everyone in the household together for spiritual exercises, spiritual devotion. Um, so all of our family time, of course, is important, but family worship has a specific spiritual um, interest in mind um, in our family. And the elements of family worship, what, what's in it, um, these are the three elements that you'll always see in family worship, and we'll see some references to this in a minute. But praise, prayer, and scripture um, are the three elements that are usually part of family worship. Um, um, in terms of terminology, family worship is a little, it seems like a little bit of an archaic term probably, probably brings up visions of the picture that I had on the board at the beginning. Um, so, um, but I think it's an appropriate term. Um, we use other terms to talk about it too. We say family devotions, we say Bible study, prayer time. I think we use all of those interchangeably in our household, um, depending on, you know, we say, hey, it's time for family devotions or it's time for prayer time or whatever. So um, those are kind of all interchangeable things. So um, don't get hung up on the terminology of family worship. Um, wor the worship aspect of it is really an attitude about how you're approaching your devotions. So any kind of personal devotions should be seen as worship, of course. But, um, and then when, especially when you add in the element of praise and singing into your family time, then it it's really starts to have more of a worshipful, worshipful feel to it. Um, so in our tradition, we're in a reformed Presbyterian, conservative Presbyterian church we have a rich history of family worship within our tradition, which is not something that all denominations can say. Can, they don't all share in that. Morning and evening worship, family worship, were very common for our forefathers. They would gather together before the father would go out to work in the morning, and then they would come together again at night before bedtime, and have a, which was kind of the picture of the family around the hearth there at the beginning. Um, and then the Puritans, in particular, saw the family as a mini-church. And you'll see this language a lot in the Puritan writings. You'll see um, the father as a, as a picture of the priest and the family as a picture of the congregation. One of the books that I'm going to be referring to is the quote that was up at the beginning from James Alexander. Um, he says, um, he refers to the family as the church in the house and he um, uh, in the household as the congregation. So that's, uh, that's a common, you know, we have this history, and, and it, it does carry down in the Presbyterian tradition from Scotland, um, and then in the Dutch Reformed tradition, um, which, uh, you know, are our, our um, uh, fellow Reformed um, people here in the United States. Um, you'll still see this. Growing up, I had a lot of Christian Reformed friends in Michigan, and many of them still did some form of family worship. Um, so um, this is in our, um, our tradition pretty strongly. It's in our confession of faith. Here in the, in the chapter on worship, chapter 21, it says that God is to be worshiped everywhere in spirit and truth, as in private families daily, and in secret, each one by himself. And you'll see this um, refrain over and over again, um, secret devotions and family devotions. Um, <clears throat> you might um, be aware 
if you have the Scottish edition of the Confession of the Westminster Standards, um, you're probably familiar that there's a directory for public worship can, included in the, the uh, proceedings of the Westminster Assembly. Um, and what you might not know is there's also a directory for family worship that's included in the documents um, from the Scottish Presbyterian Church. And um, that, so it was generated at the time of the Westminster Assembly, and it focuses, it has kind of two sections. One of them is, again, the personal, private, secret worship, which is consists of prayer and meditation twice a day. It also talks about family worship being prayer, praises, reading the Bible, catechizing, and discussing the Bible. Um, and it says, it points out that it's the responsibility of the head of the household to see to it that all are present. And they also give an admonition to church officers to make sure that it is being practiced in their parishes. Um, <clears throat> and then, um, probably drawing on that Scottish directory for family worship, our directory for worship in the PCA in chapter 63 also addresses this. Um, <clears throat> it talks about personal and family worship as duties. Um, so both personal worship and family worship it sees as a duty. And then the personal, again, it's the same kind of list, prayer, reading the scripture, meditating, self-examination, all things that we should be doing in our personal devotions. And then also in the family, prayer, reading the scriptures, and singing praises. Um, so it's, it's um, the idea of family worship as a duty is in our heritage, and it's in some of our um, uh, doctrinal statements. Um, recent history, if we, if we thought about recent history, my guess is it's probably not being practiced very much in our churches. That would be, that's my personal experience from people I've talked to. Um, so um, probably a lot of people do personal devotions. Hopefully most people do some form of personal devotions, but probably not too many people are actually practicing family worship. Um, again, due to some of the cultural pressures and the ways that, uh, some of the challenges that I listed earlier. Um, I wanted to list two related topics that are really foundational to family worship that they're not really part of this class. Other classes could be taught on these, but they're, they're very important. And the first of those is the responsibility of the head of the household. Um, the, of course, you know, and we, we've had, we have good teaching here in our church, biblical teaching on um, uh, headship within the home, um, and that's an important biblical concept. It's very unpopular in our egalitarian culture, even within the church sometimes, not, not in our church, but in other churches. Um, and normally the head of the household is going to be the husband or the father of the home, but there are a lot of situations um, where leading family worship in particular might fall to someone else due to you know, either temporarily or even in more of a permanent situation. If the father is away or if the father is dead um, or, you know, you can imagine all kinds of arrangements where it's not going to be a f the father-husband who, who's the leader um, in, in this. So the point is that somebody has to take responsibility for family worship. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, how do you navigate that? Um, I don't know. <laughs> There's, uh, uh, yeah, I was, right. well, I think that's a, probably a good answer, um, that the, the believing spouse would have the responsibility of, at that point, to, well, to do their own worship, for sure, but also to lead the children in the home in, in worship. There's a lot of other difficult situations that you can imagine. I thought through some of these, and they don't have easy answers. And I think it's a case-by-case -case basis. But, you know, if we see this as a legitimate biblical duty, then 
um, whoever that person is, no matter what situation they're in, they should be trying to practice. But you can imagine all kinds of, um, you know, it's, I'm reminded of Paul's letters, you know, where he's talking about having an unbelieving spouse. You can imagine all kinds of situations where um, it's a kind of a ambivalent spouse who doesn't really care what you do, or somebody who's hostile um, do, doesn't want you doing that. That's those are all situations that have to be, I think, brought before the the session to, you know, get some biblical wisdom from and advice from the session on that. That's that would be my recommendation. Um, so, anyways, um, the point is that somebody has to lead family worship. If if there isn't somebody who's who's leading it, it's not going to happen. So um, in our homes, whatever our home situation is, we want to do that. I have this quote, this nice quote from Alexander again here. Where the head of a family is lukewarm or worldly, he will send the chill through the whole house. Okay, so we should take that to heart. Leaders of your home, take that to heart. Um, the second topic that's related, again, that we're not going to be covering is the importance of personal devotions. You heard in every one of these doctrinal things that I read from our history, personal devotions, family devotions. Um, so personal devotions are, are really critical to developing, to being able to effectively do family devotions, especially if you're the leader. Um, and I have a nice quote here from Cotton Mather, New England Puritan, Parents, if you don't first become pious yourselves, you'll do nothing to purpose to make your children so. Um, so this is a call for all of us to be practicing personal devotions. Um, it's really a critical spiritual discipline for us to be growing in grace. Us, you know, all the things that were just listed in these documents, um, prayer, meditation, reading scripture, but more importantly, meditating on scripture and self-reflecting. Those are the key elements of personal devotion. Um, and then another, another point I wanted to make along these lines is family worship is not a substitute for personal devotion. You have to do both. Um, you at least have to do personal devotion. Um, family worship is something on top of that. And then those who are experienced in personal devotions, if you have a devotional life of yourself with the Lord, you're going to be better to better able to participate in a family devotional situation. Um, and this is why that we saw earlier, the morning and evening theme is kind of a, that's kind of a, a good pattern for our Christian lives. Um, I had a pastor once who said, the first thing you do when you roll out of bed is you ought to roll on, out of bed onto your knees and you ought to fall asleep praying, praying. And that's something generally I've tried to practice in my life, um, not literally all the time, but having the morning devotion and then an evening, it kind of is a nice bookend to the days and just reminding us that all of our life, everything in between is to be governed by our devotion to our Lord. Um, so again, I'm not going to say anything more about these two topics, um, but I just wanted to mention them as as they're kind of key foundational things for family worship. Um, any comments or questions on any of that? Rob. Ah. <laughs> Right, well, yeah. This is, uh, Jay's not here to say that this is the stump the chump uh, situation, but I mean, they're all important and important for different reasons. Um, we all as believers um, have to have a personal relationship with our Lord. We have to have an attitude of worship to him. So, you know, in, in one way, you can say that's foundationally. <laughs> Lee's saying, yeah, that's number one. Right, you have to have that. Um, 
That's correct. You're right. If you don't have that, you're not going to do any of the other stuff. That's right. Public worship is kind of a different thing. That's something that we do as the body of Christ, fellowshipping together, worshiping together. That's also super important. Um, but then again, if you think of the family, you're raising your family, you're raising the next generation, um, and it's, it's just a natural extension. I kind of put it right in between those two, personal devotions and, and uh, personal worship and public worship. Family worship is a natural extension of that where we want to worship, be worshiping God as a family unit as well. So there you go, Rob. That's the best I can do. They're all important, Kathy, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so if we move on to um, why should we practice family worship? So I won't, um, well, let me, let me throw this out there. Um, where, where, in, where in the Bible, and you don't have to answer this, but think where in the Bible it commands us to practice family worship. And it's a trick question. I'll, I'll grant you it's a trick question, but... That's right. Same answer, okay. Well, so yeah, it's a little bit of a trick question because there isn't an explicit command in scripture to practice what we think of as family worship today. Um, and um, Alexander handles this, um, well, I, I guess I missed the quote here. Um, Alexander handles this by saying, there are some duties so plain that they're rather assumed than commanded in the word of God. Um, so we might think of personal devotion, personal devotions that we have like, you know, sometimes called our quiet time, um, at least in the 70s when I was growing up, that was the term that we used, the quiet time. You might think of that as another disi spiritual discipline that's not explicitly commanded. Um, but it's assumed that our worship and our devotion to our Lord will find expression in our, in our personal lives and in our families. So that's what Alexander is getting at when he says there's some duties so plain that they are rather assumed than commanded in the word of God. So, however, even though we might not find an explicit command, there are many... Um, Biblical exhortations and principles that are addressed by family worship. And I'm wondering if you can, we've heard one of them shouted out here already. I'm wondering if you can think of, of some, what, what are some of those biblical exhortations and commands that would be, be well addressed by practicing family worship? And this, I, I have a list of about five or six things that I'm going to get to here, but just to make you think for a second about that on why, why, why we want to practice family worship. What would be a couple principles or exhortations? Um, Ronnie. The Great Commission, okay. Yeah, all right. Making disciples, right? Cynthia? Mm -hmm. 
And, and you can think of some other parallels in Scripture along those lines, too, with spe specifically with respect to the children of uh, believers, that they belong to the Lord. Um, yep, so those are all good um, reasons. Anything else before I start unveiling my list? <laughs> Pastor. That's an excellent point. Yeah, and that, that's more along the princip the principles, right? Um, yeah, Teresa. Yes, that's right. Pray without ceasing. That's another reason to do it, right. Okay, well, let me, um, again, we could keep multiplying these, and you could probably think of a lot of other biblical things, but I just listed a few here. And the first is that it addresses... Um, the, the idea of raising families in the fear of the Lord. This is the passage that um, Rob uh, brought up earlier. Um, like Cynthia was saying, Proverbs is filled with exhortations to wisdom. Proverbs 22.6 is train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And there's other um, references in, in the Psalms. We can think of exhortations in Ephesians chapter 6 along those lines as well. And then the passage that Rob cited, Deuteronomy 6, says, And these words that I com command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts post of your house and on your gates. So this passage, it's really teaching us that God's word and his ways are to permeate our lives, uh, kind of along the lines of what Pastor was saying a minute ago. Um, and we kind of sometimes lump these passages into the children passages, raise the children but I want us not to miss the implications that it has for all of us to be devoted to God's word and his ways in all of our lives, every aspect of our lives. And so I want to submit that gathering together as a family unit to worship um, and read the Bible is an excellent way to address these responsibilities that we have to raise godly families in the fear of the Lord. Um, another reason is, another thing that we can say is knowing God's word is, an, is a biblical exhortation that we have. Um, <clears throat> what do I have up here? I have Psalm 119 is filled with these. Um, I have the one on the screen there. Um, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And for uh, those of you who have been attending the the men's breakfast recently, we've um, used Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Um, so these are all exhortations for us to know God's word, to be people of the word. 
uh, Alexander here in this book says that daily Bible reading in the home is one of the most powerful agencies of a Christian life, and he likens it to a constant water dripping which wears a mark into a rock. So that's the kind of people we want to be. We want to be people who are in the word all the time so that it permeates um, our thinking, our attitudes, and our lives. Um, another uh, exhortation that might be related to family worship, singing to the Lord. Um, here's that Colossians 3.16 passage in, in full. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Um, and the psalms, of course, are songs. The psalms were written to be sung. Um, and uh, following, our, following our Jewish forefathers, singing has always been a mark of the Christian church. Um, Christians have always gathered. Even the, you know, some of the most uh, kind of moving uh, statements that we have about the early church are that they, were, they would sing hymns to Christ. Um, and those, even, you know, the people um, right after the time of Christ were known as singers, singing praises to God. Um, so singing is not just for church. It's, it's for our personal lives. It's for our homes. Um, so there's admonitions to sing to the Lord, which are, are nicely addressed by family worship time. Teresa mentioned prayer, pray without ceasing. There you go, Teresa. Um, uh, there's all kinds of exhortations to, pr to pray. And praying aloud together is an excellent way to inculcate a spirit of prayer in our homes. Um, all of us should be praying in our personal lives. And usually that prayer take is, takes the silent form. But praying aloud in our homes is, is a great way to come together and to just have a, a spirit of prayer in our homes. And um, I think I have this quote by Alexander here. Better a roofless house than a prayerless one. It's better to not have a roof over your head than to be a house that is not a praying house. Um, so prayer is an excellent um, reason to uh, exercise family worship. And then um, finally, I, the last one I list is just all of the general admonitions and exhortations to be growing in righteousness, godliness, and wisdom. Um, I'm thinking particularly of the pastoral epistles where Paul is exhorting Timothy to grow in righteousness and in godliness. Second Peter is uh, along these lines as well. And then we've already been talking about the Proverbs. The Proverbs are filled with exhortations to get wisdom, even though it costs you everything you have. Um, family worship is an excellent way to implement the discipline of growing in wisdom and godliness. Um, and the, I, the word discipline there is, is, is important. That, and the fact that it's a discipline also is going to that long-term goal of long-term sustainability and consistency. So even though there's not a biblical command that says family worship, um, I think there's plenty of exhortations in scripture that are, are well addressed by family worship. Um, so it's certainly something that um, if we want to be biblical, if we want to be true to the Bible, we should be um, considering um, family worship. Now, I want to list five other reasons, and this is getting to um, Dave, Dave's question a long time ago. I want to list five other reasons why um, family worship is important. Um, <clears throat> and the first one is because we are worshipers. Um, Psalm uh, 29.2 is on the screen there. Um, you can think of other psalms in Psalm 95, Psalm 96, 96 that talk about worshiping the Lord. And 
uh, I think Pastor was touching on this earlier, we are to cultivate, because we are worshipers, we are to cultivate an attitude of worship throughout all of our lives, um, not just on Sunday morning. Um, we should have an attitude of worship throughout all our lives because we are already worshipers. Um, and one thing, that when I think about worship, I love, um, I always am reminded of C.S. Lewis's theme of um, becoming what we do. If, if, if you've read much Lewis, you'll see this theme um, come through in many of his writings that we become what we do. And another way to say that is that worship is a transformational activity. It's not just something that we do. It's something that, that does something to us as well. It transforms us. And that's a biblical theme. If you think about, you can think of the negative side of that in the Bible, that we become like our idol. If we're idolaters, we become like our idols. If we worship a worthless thing, we become worthless. And there's lots of biblical passages that speak about that. And um, I think of Lewis's emphasis on this. Um, you can see it in a couple places. One of them is, if you've read The Great Divorce, it's really strong in The Great Divorce. You remember the, the busload of people, for those of you that have read it. It's filled with people who will not enter heaven because they have hardened themselves in their sinful habits. Um, they have become what they did. And even though they have the opportunity to enter heaven, they don't want to enter, enter heaven because they've become what they worshipped, their sinful attitudes. And another um, related theme in Lewis is that our lives on earth are preparing us for a future life in either heaven or hell. And this is, this kind of goes with it, you know, like we're becoming what we do. Um, the continuity between this life and the life to come is a strong theme in Lewis. And then um, I uh, have this quote here from the Screwtape Letters. All mortals tend to turn into the thing they are pretending to be. So we should think about this. This is, a, this is not just a Lewis theme. It's a biblical theme that, um, that as worshipers, we want to make sure that we're worshiping the proper object of worship and that we want to recognize that we are worshipers and we are worshiping. And um, we should be making this part of our, all of our life, as Pastor was saying earlier, um, so family worship is a very tangible way that we can cultivate a life of worship. We become better worshipers by worshiping. Um, that's along the, the Lewis theme. And then you can see, and, and you often hear this uh, used as a reason to practice family worship, if we're family worshipers, we are better worshipers on Sunday. It prepares us to be better worshipers in a corporate public setting. Um, and then the negative side of this is also a reason we naturally neglect worship. Um, or we worship, we, I should say, we naturally ne neglect worship of the true God. We're always worshiping something. But idolatry is one of the most prevalent sins in the Bible. It's in the first commandment. Um, and we need constant reminders to pull us back from our material focus to a Godward orientation. It's a constant reminder that we need. Um, and that's why worship is really, it really can be seen as a spiritual discipline. Um, Sunday worship, what we're doing here today, will um, re reorient us in a weekly pattern. And we might think of our personal devotions are something that is a daily pattern that sets a, a pattern for our lives. And I, I want to submit that family worship is also a, a wonderful way to have a discipline of, of worship in our household um, as, a, as a discipline. And one of the benefits of that is when, when you as an individual don't feel like worship, 
and this, has happen this happens a lot in our home, there might be somebody who, you know, I don't feel like it. Well, we're doing it. So come, come, and, come and worship, and almost always the person who maybe was reluctant at first is edified and encouraged afterwards. Um, so it's a good spiritual discipline. Um, I can see I'm going to run out of time here, so I just want to get through these last couple points. Another reason is to acknowledge and identify us as God's covenant people. And here what I have in mind as this is something, family worship, worship in general, and family worship in particular is something that sets us apart. Um, and it, it's, it's not even practiced that much in the church, but it's certainly very unusual um, if you, in the world at large, that you would gather together to, as, to worship the God, as, as you worship God as a family. So it really marks us out as citizens of the kingdom of God and being apart from the world. So just like we, just like Sunday worship, Sunday worship does that. It sets us apart from the world. Um, family worship can do this in our families, in our homes as well. And um, it fortifies us to stand in against the cultural pressures, the present evil age that we live in. And um, so in contrast, in, in our past Reformed history, it might not have been so unusual. Probably a lot of people practiced family worship. And the elders were taking notes of the people that didn't <laughs> practice family worship. In contrast to that today, it's really countercultural today for us to be um, practicing family worship. Um, another reason is to maintain a God-centered orientation in our homes. Um, you've heard the story of uh, the old, you know, Scottish people that would be traveling and would knock on the door and they would say, they would answer it and he would say, is God in this home would be the question they would ask. And then, you know, if, if they said yes, they would be welcomed in. It's a way to be known. Uh, family worship is a way that we can be um, known as people who's, that God is in our home. Um, we want everything that happens in our home to be God-centered. Um, all of our activities, our conversations with one another, our attitudes, we want them all to reflect um, a God-centered orientation. And I mentioned this earlier, but morning and evening devotions serve as bookends to the day where we acknowledge that everything in between belongs to the Lord. Um, and so however imperfect we might be at putting this into practice, um, it tells our family that we're committed followers of Christ and our relationship to God is central to the way we order our lives. Um, family worship, I think, uh, does an excellent uh, job of doing that. Um, and then finally and this will probably be our last point for today, it builds godly families. Um, <clears throat> this is um, the, the final point getting to what Dave mentioned a long time ago. This is a very tangible effect of family worship. That, and we really um, can't overestimate the impact of it. Um, you've heard the adage, the family that prays together stays together. Um, there's a lot of truth in that. Um, and so family worship in the home, it orders daily family life as we gather together each day as a family. It fosters family identity and family unity in a way that, you, that, it, that, you, that might be missing if you don't practice family worship. There's benefits of the children, for instance. Seeing mom and dad practice family worship and making a habit out of it, making it a daily habit. Um, it demonstrates to our families what's important to us. Um, <clears throat> children are able to see their parents' devotion um, to God and concern for praying for others. Um, and I, I'm reminded of this example in, um, I think it's Ted Tripp's book. It might be Paul's trip. 
Paul Tripp's book. I can't remember. Cynthia will probably remember. But he, they, they had a family practice of reading the Proverbs every day at the dinner table. Uh, actually, for breakfast, I think it was. And he tells the story of he was away for a time. I think he was away for one day or something like that. He came back in the middle of the day. His kids were teenagers. They were the only ones at home. He came in during the middle of the day, and he found the Bible on the breakfast table open to the Proverbs. And he recognized that his kids had read from the Proverbs while he wasn't there to lead it. Um, so the, there's a huge benefit for the kids to see mom and dad make a priority out of ordering their lives around the worship of God. And the final thing I wanted to mention is it's of supreme benefit for family relations. Um, it really is a way for us to model loving headship in the home. And it provides a context for family concerns to be worked out in a safe, um, loving environment. So if there's any concerns that the children have, um, it can be addressed in a biblical, loving family context. Um, love and concern for others is modeled because we're praying with and for one another. Um, so that's something that's modeled for the kids. And it really lays a foundation, and this is something that we've seen in our home. It lays a foundation for children to be comfortable discussing all of their deepest concerns with their parents and to learn to seek their counsel when they get older. So it's really a way for us to maintain open communication and a loving relationships in our home. Um, and I'm sure there's exceptions to that where um, there might be some conflicts and things like that. But this is an excellent way to maintain um, a godly uh, environment in our home. Any comments or questions on that, or any of that, I guess? We're out of time for today. <clears throat> yeah, Mike. <laughs> um, I, and just, if that wasn't enough to throw at you, the, the chapters in this book, I just wanted to read some of the chapters. The far-reaching implications of family worship. Now, he's writing in the 1840s, so it's a little bit different culture than what we live in today. But listen to the title chapters on how, and he has some very credible um, uh, ways of going to, he, he has a chapter on each of these, and it's, and it's, it's pretty credible, I think. Um, listen to this. The influence of family worship on individual piety. We've kind of covered that a little bit. The influence of family worship on parents the influence of family worship on children. Just talked about that. The influence of family worship on domestic harmony and love. Just talked about that too. <laughs> the influence of family worship on a household in affliction. Think about that. Let that set in for a minute. The influence of family worship on visitors, guests, and neighbors. The influence of family worship in perpetuating sound doctrine. The influence of family worship on the church. The influence of family worship on the commonwealth. The influence of family worship on posterity. So, um, you know, just, just an encouragement to us that the benefits of family worship might go far beyond what we can even, what we even see in our tangible lives. So, I'll just close with that. Um, like I said, um, next time, which I think we're taking two weeks off of Sunday school. When we get back together in January, it will be the second part of this, and we'll be looking at more of how do you do family worship? What are the logistical concerns? Um, you know, what does it look like to actually do it in the house? I'll have a lot of material to, to talk about and um, like to share. I'm, I'm hoping to have a uh, handout for you that lists a lot of resources as well. So um, that's what we'll do um, in January, and let me, let me close in prayer. 
Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for this reminder this morning that we belong to you and that our lives should be centered and ordered around you as our creator and our savior and that we should be worshipers of the one true God in our personal devotions, in our family devotions, and then as a corporate body of Christ. We thank you that you have redeemed us and have called us out of the world and has given, have given us the resources through your Holy Spirit to be able to practice these things in our lives. And we pray that you would help us to be better worshipers, that you would help us to consider our priorities in life and to, to do that, to order our lives around you as our Savior and the, the only one who is worthy of our worship. We pray that you would prepare us now for worshiping you, for singing your praises and hearing from your word. Help us to be good hearers of your word and to put it into practice, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.